0: Pleased to meet you uh, here today, uh, albeit on a on a on a podcast. My name is Stephen Vance. Uh, I'm a director of consulting services within CGI, uh, and I've been leading. Uh, the Project Seagrass activity on behalf of the No Planet B group and I'm really pleased uh, to be joined today by Richard Lilly from Project Seagrass. Um, so uh, first of all you mind just giving us a bit of an introduction Richard and, um, and where you're from?
1: Yeah so uh, yeah my name is Richard Lilly although most people know me as RJ. I'm the CEO of Project Seagrass and um, We're a marine NGO, which started in Wales back in 2013. Um, I moved up to Edinburgh five years ago. Uh, That was a strategic decision to to try and get seagrass on the map up here. And um, yeah, we've been kind of growing ever since. I guess if you've heard of us, you'd have heard of us in the UK context for restoring seagrass meadows. So we've been doing some of that work down in Wales. And we've launched three more projects, one in England, one in Wales, and, and one recently up here in scotland so wow
0: so how did you get into this how did what was your first experience with seagrass
1: um do you know what my my first uh experience with seagrass was in a book or in a paper so i um and and this is kind of one of the reasons why project seagrass came into existence is i'd never heard of seagrass never heard of seagrass meadows i'd heard of coral reefs i'd heard of mangroves never heard of seagrass and um I I turned up um, at Swansea University having – this was back in 2011 – having spent time working as a dive instructor over in in Asia. Um, Previous to that, I'd been a biology teacher at a secondary school. So you'd have thought, as an individual, you know, demographically, I should probably have heard of this this habitat. Hadn't. It wasn't until I – I did a, a short course at Stockholm University, uh, which looked at coral, reef, coral reefs, seagrass meadows, and, and mangroves. That um, I, I began learning about this, this habitat. Turned up at Swansea. Uh, Rich Unsworth, who is uh, one of the, the world's leading seagrass scientists, is, is, is based there. I was his student, uh, and I guess the rest is history. Um, I started reading his papers. Um, we found the disconnect between how important these habitats were and the fact that no one had heard of them a bit a bit strange. Uh, and so we set out with um, a mission at Project Seagrass to kind of raise the profile of the of the habitat so yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: and so you do you die for Project Seagrass or you know what what sort of work do you do personally at, at Seagrass?
1: So being the only individual um, currently in Scotland um, I, I, I tend to do quite a bit of the operations as well um, but as, as a team you know we've got we've got staff who work in in the lab um, staff who do outreach and engagement yeah um, to give you an example of our of our year, I guess we have a, a peak season, really in August and over the summer months, where where the seagrass is is flowering and then seeding. Yeah, because we we're in cl- interested in collecting those seeds for for our restoration projects. Yeah. so that might involve scuba diving. Um, it might involve you know just wading out into the the sort of shallow coastal seas to collect seeds. Yeah, um, and then in the, me personally, I do a lot of work either by free diving um, around the coast to check. Um, where where seagrasses exist, maybe wow. take some genetic samples, uh, and also some drone work. So we, we use... Um these, these small survey drones yeah. uh, for, for mapping the coastal seascape, but really at a small site scale.
0: Yeah, and you're not the only Richard at Project Seagrass, aren't we? Because we I think we introduced, uh, interviewed yeah. a different Richard uh, as part of the YouTube video that we released as part of COP26 this, yes, this week. Yes, percent
1: So Richard Unsworth's my colleague. He was my supervisor. Um,
0: Your supervisor where?
1: At Swansea University. Right. Yeah, so Richard's um, yeah, turning up to Swansea University in 2011. Richard Unsworth was the lecturer supervisor there, all-round seagrass guru. Um, yeah. And it was through myself and myself and Ben, uh, one of the other founders. We were we were teaching together at the dive club. Yeah. Um, and Richard was lecturing on seagrass, uh, and we spoke to Richard about the fact that seagrass had lost this um, just, just just wasn't recognised. And he said, actually, one of the or I guess the seagrass community's most famous sons, called seagrass meadows the ugly duckling of marine conservation. <laughs> no one had ever heard of it. Um, and he he recognised the need to put seagrass, to mainstream seagrass, and to get it in the in the marine uh, conservation conversation. And so we, we set out with exactly the aim, really, just to, to raise the profile. It was almost more of a marketing issue. Yeah. How can we market seagrass? How can we make seagrass sexy? How can we get people in, interested in this habitat? Yeah. And you can do that through a number of ways. Everyone loves a seahorse. Seahorses like living in seagrass meadows. Green turtles. Yeah. Prolific consumers of seagrass. Manatees, dugongs. Some of these iconic species. You know, if you're going to... They rely on these habitats. um, And so that's always a good hook. Yeah.
0: But you've you've got these, you know, these obviously amazing animals that live amongst the seagrass. But there are a few other things that seagrass does, doesn't it? Yes.
1: So, um, I mean, there's i could sit here and wax lyrical about seagrass um for the rest of the afternoon but i guess two of the major um uh hooks at the moment are around the mitigation of climate change so as a carbon store and also as ability to sequester carbon out, out of the, the atmosphere and out of the water column
0: so before we move off that can you just tell me a bit more about how that works how does the carbon actually get into the you know yeah, into this good
1: question so um we often find, with the headline figures, it can be a little bit of comparing apples with oranges. So yeah. um, there's this, this huge movement at the moment to plant trees, and I, I welcome that. Um, the carbon, when we talk about the carbon figures for trees and how much carbon can be stored in a forest, um, a lot of the carbon there is actually in the plant itself. So mm-hmm. in the trunk, if you think a trunk is, is uh, full of organic carbon, in the leaves, uh, and so it's all above, above ground. Mm-hmm. And, and that's excellent because it is bringing carbon into a... And turning it into organic matter, that contrasts with seagrass, though, because where we're where we're storing carbon in seagrass is actually in the sediment. Right. If you look at a blade of grass, a blade of seagrass, there's not actually much organic matter there itself, but the fact that the seagrass um, basically sticks up into the water column means that it buffers wave energy. So any energy in that system is uh, dissipated. Any organic matter um, in the water column then sort of falls down into the gaps between the seagrass blades. Right, uh, and then. That it, it once once that happens um, over a period of time, it gets buried into the sediment under the seagrass. Right. So there's actually, from a scuba diving perspective, if you were going to go to uh, the Mediterranean, you can actually dive down the almost like a, a cliff face of seagrass roots, and it, and all of the what you're seeing there, you know, 10 meters of uh, of ancient root system is all that organic carbon that's been buried over the years. Wow. And that's where the excitement comes from because it's the permanence of the of the the carbon storage. It's it's there for millennia potentially um, but it's also the rate at which that's able to happen
0: mm. so um, it's not actually the seagrass itself that's consuming co2 via photosynthesis it's in
1: part in part it does do that um right. uh, so all, all plants will do that they'll convert the um they'll, they'll, con- they'll create organic material um, yeah, themselves. Through, through photosynthesis but the the nuance to the to the the seagrass um, uh, carbon storage is the fact that it's it's burying it in the sediments so it's not so much the plant itself yeah it's what's actually being stored underneath all
0: right wow that's really interesting yeah. i don't think i'd fully appreciated the fact that it's not just the photosynthesis it's also the way in which it traps organic matter as it falls down Absolutely. in between and the so that, blades and so
1: that's one of the elements that we're going to be looking to explore over the next few years is where where is where, where which from an existing seagrass meadow perspective, which meadows are acting as real carbon stores, yeah. um, and is that because of where they're they're situated? Yeah. Um, and could we, in our restoration journey, are there areas where we could judiciously plant seagrass yeah. to maximise the amount of carbon that's being stored yeah, in given yeah. meadow?
0: And then, of course, that's obviously a big part. But the second part that you were going to highlight was oh, biodiversity. Yeah.
1: So the twin, you know, the UN recognises probably th- broadly three cl- three crises: pollution crisis is kind of all encapsulating plastics dominate that conversation i think at the moment um, climate change climate emergency uh, and biodiversity emergency yeah so um, seagrass meadows seagrass meadows in 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 a, a legal parlance often refer to as seagrass beds and, and i can understand that but i prefer the term meadow because i think meadow captures um, the essence of what seagrass meadow actually is much more so when we think about meadows on land we think about that vibrancy of life don't we? Mm-hmm. we think about wildflower meadows mm-hmm. all the biodiversity associated with that and it's exactly the same in the sea. If you've got a seagrass meadow and you're snorkeling or swimming over it, um, it is full of life. Uh, one, of the, one of the key areas there is it's a nursery habitat. If you're a baby fish, a couple of centimetres long, and you want to hide somewhere, if it's bare sands, you've got nowhere to hide. But if you've got blades of seagrass you can hide in, yeah. it's a nice safe space. Um, that you can call home
0: yeah so if we lose our seagrass meadow there's no nursery for the for the baby fish Uh, and then well what will happen to well no 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 baby fish no adult fish it's it's,
1: um the 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 reason i mean there's multiple reasons supporting the fisheries um we found that if i was going to talk about other benefits beyond biodiversity and carbon um seagrass meadows um help mitigate ocean acidification in those in those spaces where they're found um, they've actually been shown recently to produce pathogen transfer, so bacterial oh, wow. elements. Um, they sedi- they a, a big sort of climate mitigation element as well, climate change mitigation factor, is the fact that it's a plant rather than a, an algae or seagrasses. A plants not algae, mean that they've essentially they've evolved on land and returned to the sea. So by having a root system, that root system helps bind the sediment together. Yeah. So you know, if you've got any keen gardeners, if you pull a plant oh, yeah, out of the yeah. garden. Um, the root system, there'll often be soil embedded in that root system. Yeah. And it's the same effect in the sea. So, by having those marine plants put in that root system across the yeah. sediment, it just locks everything together. Yeah. So, coastal erosion, if yeah. you've got a seagrass meadow there, it prevents that erosion or mitigates yeah. that erosion.
0: So, stop getting huge amounts of pebbles and big concrete bollards into the sea. Don't yeah. do that. Just plant a huge seagrass meadow. Huge seagrass meadow, you know,
1: dynamic coastline. Yeah. And, and there's a huge movement towards that sort of. Um, seascape management that landscape yeah. seascape management yeah. um, and there will be over the next few years for sure yeah.
0: wow that's that's really amazing thanks so much for that Richard so um, so you know we're obviously helping you um, with uh, with some remote sensing uh, using uh, Easter Copernicus data you know I mean how is this how is this going to help you how is this going to transform from what you're currently doing to, to monitor where seagrass is to help your campaigning versus you know when you've hopefully got a, a map of the UK which, uh, which tells you exactly where all the seagrass is
1: totally. Game changer. So, speaking in the UK perspective, one of the challenges we face is we don't actually know the extent of all our our seagrass habitats, and it's very difficult to protect um, a habitat if you don't know it's there in the first place Mm. and you don't know the extent of it. So, we've been what we call ground truthing um, habitat, so actually swimming out into a meadow to confirm it is seagrass and not kelp or or whatever. You know, we might be scanning um, like a mapping software and having a look at, uh, at the coast. Um, and we 've been flying drones, and this might these drones might only cover a few hundred hectares, but um, having the capacity to to partner with cgi and to to you know, harness your expect- expertise towards this space i mean you 'll probably be better placed <laughs> to talk to me about this than the uh, <laughs> Yeah, than, than but, it
0: should, but it should hopefully enable you to actually work out where to focus your resources by being able to see where it is. Because one of the features that we're working on at the moment, because you know we're doing all this in an agile way, we prioritised the the backlog with 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 Richard. You yeah. know, recently in in Leatherhead, which is what we were doing in the YouTube video that yes, was yeah, released, yeah, yeah. and we've got a list of features to do, and one one of them is actually comparing 2019 seagrass data with 2021 seagrass data, which we're hoping to release the results of. In the summer this year, assuming we can get it all to work, of course, um, but uh, but that will hopefully highlight areas where seagrass is being damaged because yeah. you know, it, and and so that you can focus the activities that you're doing to sort of help campaign government or local council to either change behavior i mean what kind of behaviors do you think we should be changing in uh, in the work that councils do in planning or i
1: think know? it's just about recognition that uh, of the of, of the seagrass and, and this sort of um, what we're broadly categorizing as nature-based solutions are, yeah. are a, can be a, a key option and, and actually there can be in terms of the raw economics, of it, quite a cheap option yeah. and a dynamic option. Mm. You know, going back to that idea of a dynamic coast, you can keep putting up sea barriers and then keep having them eroded and having to put them back, or you can just let nature do it. Mm. Um, and there's obviously a little bit more complicated than that, but the the the, the solutions are do exist in nature for mm. for a lot of these these challenges we have. Um, so the recognition element is is massive. Um, but also it's the scale element. What CGI offers is, is this ability to, to really scale and to offer data um, at the UK-wide scale. You mm. know, going back to this idea of remote sensing, uh, we've been working together on Orkney, for example, as a, yes, as a, as a case study. Yeah. And we're able to, to go up to Westray and we're able to fly our drone over a, a meadow and, and to map 42 hectares. Yeah. And that uh, will provide a, a robust data point for, um, for the, the broader remote sensing picture. And yeah. you know, the more that we can... Um, factor in the work that we've already been doing, whether that's mm. predictive habitat modelling or, or you know, site by site case study drone flights, with that wider uh, satellite work, then we'll be able to see those sort of iterative developments, won't yeah. we? So, comparing twenty nineteen with twenty twenty one, we should be able to build on on the data over. And collect more and more data to sort of feed back into the system and, yeah, and see improve. It improve. It. Yeah, because yeah.
0: that because that's the way that we're really we're really going now. Because we've where we are up to with the algorithm is that we can now uh, import data uh, which is cloud free, um, which is of the similar tide, uh, so that we can compare apples with apples. And then we've created a first baseline algorithm that effectively identifies what we think is seagrass across the UK. And already we've had a review with Seagrass Project Seagrass Richard mainly uh, to identify where we've got false positives where we think it's seagrass but it's not actually seagrass and the first feature that came out of that was importing a habitat suitability model which basically it tells us where rock is and where rock isn't or where the the coastline is too deep which means that seagrass can't actually grow in that location and we've imported that again on top of the base algorithm so that we can then pull out chunks which we know are probably algae or other forms of seaweed as opposed to actual the bona fide seagrass and you know the vision for that is as we improve and improve and improve this algorithm you know because the, the the stats for consumption of co2 is so much larger with seagrass than it is of you know conventional uh, forest you know is that we should be able to put a number on the amount of CO2 that that seagrass is sequestering, which then becomes really exciting, doesn't it?
1: A hundred percent. I think that's the, 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 the exciting part of this um, collaboration is, is the big picture. You know, we, we're sitting here at COP and, and we, already there's interest from the UN, from, from DEFRA, from, yeah. from all the regulators over, over the potential in this space. Yeah. And it's, it's been fantastic to, to uh, you know, even at this early stage of the collaboration, just to see that big vision. Mm-hmm. Um, coming from CGI and, and yeah. th- to understand the potential and how yeah. and how the, the tech and the skill set that you guys have, the expertise can actually be used in this space. Mm. Sorry, yeah, because
0: it's not ending here though, because I'm really pleased to announce that um, uh, Tara's just given me the nod actually just outside to communicate that we're going to be signing a strategic agreement with you for the next 12 months um, so that we can continue evolving and supporting this platform uh, for the benefit of Project Seagrass and the overall UK. And uh, it's it's really exciting to already see so much uh, interesting discussion that's happening you know, around this topic. And I'd really like to thank you, Richard, personally for coming in here today and it's amazing hearing you talk about this amazing resource that will hopefully help fight climate change
1: well absolutely it's a pleasure to be here and just thank you for showing leadership in this space
0: thank you